0: At Jared, we have a brilliant selection of beautifully crafted diamond engagement rings and certified loose diamonds so that you can find the perfect one for your one and only. Best selection, best prices. Enjoy the Jared difference today. Jared, love brilliantly. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. Today, we are speaking with Kathy St. John. Kathy St. John is the author of a new book, One for the Boys. Um, Hello, Kathy. Good morning, Tracy. Now, Kathy and I have known each other for years and years because uh, this book, One for the Boys, is all about the story of um, uh, Sergeant John W. Blake, who is a a Newfoundlander uh, from Canada who I did not have the opportunity to meet. But when I was doing the research for my book, I met Kathy and some of her family members because they were dealing at the time with his death. You were fighting actually to have him buried
1: uh, in a field of honor, weren't you? Well, yes, um, it was a field of honor here in St. John's, Newfoundland, and the only military cemetery here in Newfoundland. Um, Fields of honor is is a coined phrase. It can... uh, it has the connotation of it's, it's reserved solely for soldiers, and rightly so. Um, so it often gets misinterpreted with, oh, it's a national thing. It belongs to the government of Canada. Well, some of the plots do belong to the government of Canada in most fields of honors. But uh, technically, Canada, at that time, I should say, back in 96, there were only four official fields of honors, and that one was not one of them. But I was restricted. I was not permitted to purchase a plot to bury my brother there, and it became quite a an upset.
0: Yeah, in the in the end, we actually buried him um, in, in a uh, military cemetery or military portion of a private cemetery in uh, British Columbia, and and I was. Uh, honoured to be able to go out and uh, represent the uh, veteran, the Vietnam veterans from Quebec because they basically assigned me as their representative.
1: Yes, you were there with David. I, I recall the time very well. Um, it was a five-year argument with the uh, Canadian government and a devastating time in our lives. But what it did was it pulled together the Vietnam veterans in Canada. And in that sense, John's work was now completed when now when uh, we finally buried him because i think that's what needed to be done here in canada was to you know help bring those vietnam veterans forward and they came out in fine style as did the royal canadian legion and millions of people across the united states and canada uh, in support of burying john blake in newfoundland but our government failed to realize that uh, we weren't going away And
0: uh, eventually we
1: we did. One of the wonderful things
0: about that particular service, too, is that the uh, U.S. military sent an honor guard. And so it was a full um, uh, American military burial. So everything that that could be done by everybody involved, except for the Canadian government, was done.
1: Yes, eventually it was done. But what it left behind was a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because uh, it became poignant that, uh, you know, the new uh, the government of Canada said uh, we don't want Vietnam veterans in our cemeteries, and that was that was bad. That was nasty, and uh, you know up until uh, recently, I, I thought well that will never happen again. But um, in Canada, but I find out now that it can happen again, and it may well happen again in Winnipeg, because in 2005, without any you know notice to anybody. I found this out in my research as I was doing the book, is that uh, they have now inducted the military cemetery here, which wasn't a true or official, I should say, field of honor for the Canadian government, and the one in Winnipeg, okay, taking those both of those on the umbrella of official Canadian fields of honor in the country, leaving both provinces without military service military burial um, provisions for vietnam vets in canada and that is going to cause you know um, a great deal of distress for people families communities and the provinces in yeah. the future Yeah, yeah, yeah. People
0: don't realize how, uh, really devastating these kinds of arguments can be for family members, um, who are already suffering because their loved one is gone. I mean, it's a, uh, for a very long time, they wouldn't allow Vietnam veteran, uh, To participate in uh, Remembrance Day services and that has since been overturned in part because of members of the Royal Canadian Legion themselves who actually went against their own leadership to vote in uh, Vietnam veterans as full-fledged members of the uh, Royal Canadian Legion and uh, uh, I really admire some of the uh, soldiers, the World War II soldiers who actually headed up that fight
1: Yes, the Royal Canadian Legion um, has a very solid and important voice in the country when it comes to veterans and veteran services. And I really would like to think that, you know, the government of Canada could sit up and listen, just listen to these groups, because this is the backbone of the veterans. It was created by veterans. It's ran by veterans. It's service veterans and communities, and uh, and, I, and I just wish more people would get more involved at grassroots with the Canadian uh, legions uh, because uh, their support is, is necessary to continue services and um, and respect for veterans of uh, all wars in, the, in North America who we need to honor the people who served there and, and to protect us and give us the life that we live.
0: Well, one of the um, interesting things, I mean, this particular book is about one of your brothers, but you actually have two brothers who served in Vietnam. Can you tell me a little bit about
1: that? That was 1968, I think, right, that they went? Yes, that was a long time ago. Yes, I had two brothers, not just one. You're right in saying that. Um, David and John. Well, actually, I'm going to use the word Wayne. Okay, David and Wayne. I grew up with my brothers, David and Wayne, St. John, and uh when I was 16, we were living in Montreal at the time and, uh, the war was the war on television. And we were all affected by it because I guess we felt it in our little family more because we come from a, a family of military peoples. And our father was a World war war one veteran and, uh, he was much older than Mum, and it, we were his second family and he died when we were young. And, uh, and mom was raising us and, uh, and she had served also in a war, World War II. She was in the Navy um, in her uh, during her, her time with that. And uh, so we always had that presence of military and structure in our lives. Of course, it was no surprise then when the boys came home. Well, a bit of a surprise, but, you know, we understood it fairly quickly that they were going to go and join the United States Army and and eventually serve in Vietnam. And that was their plan, and they stuck to it. They were young. Okay, David was 17, and, and Wayne was 19. So they went through the process of the recruitment enlisting, and they required documentation from Newfoundland birth certificates. So we had a bit of a surprise um, when the birth certificates arrived, um, because um, you know, they, are, they grew up in St. John's, uh, Newfoundland, went to school here in, in Topsail, Um, and there was never any question about who they were and and their names but when the certificates arrived Davis came up as david saint john and waynes came up as john w blake and that created quite a kerfuffle and uh, poor mom never had the strength or the um the, uh, the will to tell him exactly why that was like that so with little notice, he registered and went on and became John W. Blake. And uh, and he served honorably in the service of the United States Army. Um, yeah, that's how they both ended up going. Now,
0: one of the things that you were telling uh, me at, at another time is that... Um uh, John actually stopped his training in order to. Now we'll call him John since that's what he is in the book. But uh, this is Wayne St. John, who you proved later on that he is actually Wayne St. John, <laughs> or was. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then now, but as he lived his life from the time he was uh, signed up to the military until the time he died as John Blake, he actually stopped his training in order to protect his brother. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, um, well, they enlisted and they went through basic training together and they went through um, airborne uh, training uh, in Fort Bragg together as parachuting. And then they were split up and David went to um, learn about mechanics uh, and, and he was to be stay, kept on state side, uh, not because it, mom had intervened at the time and said, You got both of my sons. One is John Blake, the other one is David St. John. They can't both go to Vietnam. But anyway, so, you know, at the time, something was uh, arranged that, well, the younger one would stay stateside. And that would have been Davis. And uh, I wrote about this in the book. And so he ended up temporarily being stateside. And he was a clerk uh, in, in an office. And he was typing the orders that were sending men and boys to Vietnam. And after a short while, about six months, he He typed his own orders, (laughs) and his orders came through. Yeah, (laughs) his orders came through, and he's going to Vietnam. All right, so he go he went and visited John, who was in training as special forces. He he earned his green beret, and he was selected. You know, he was extensively trained as 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 a soldier, and uh, he was John was selected to um, to continue his training as an interpreter. And uh, so, he tells David tells John that oh, hey, I'm going to Vietnam, and John was furious with him, right? Because that shouldn't have happened, but now it happens, and uh, orders are orders, and you you just don't get to change them when you're in the you know the United States Army. So David's going on to Vietnam before John, and John was furious, and he was scared, and we were all scared because we knew that you know John was getting extensive training. And uh, David didn't have that kind of training. And, uh, but he was going David would be going there as a mechanic for the choppers. Um, but we didn't know much about Vietnam, the country. And John did, and he was fearful. So he stopped his training, requested an immediate transfer to Vietnam. And I guess maybe in the back of his mind and in his heart that if the United States government realized that he, they had two brothers there that from Canada, that they would send one home and preferably they would send David home. But that didn't happen because the United States Army said orders are orders and they both had to pull the duty now. So, but David, you know, he, he, there were all, everybody's in harm's way in Vietnam at that time. um, But to what extent, okay. Um, David remained on base and yes, it was, you know, it was in Chu Chi and that wasn't a walk in the park either. But John was more extensively trained and he was the, he was there as a special forces uh, personnel, and eventually he um, volunteered with the Airborne Rangers um, because that is a volunteer position. It's, it's highly dangerous, and it's uh, you know you require a highly to be highly skilled yourself. And uh, so he worked. That was his work. He worked with the uh, November seventy fifth Rangers uh, with the Airborne Regiment there in Bang Song and David was probably only about an hour away from him but not in near the theater of war. So they both served at the same time wow. in Vietnam. And both of them came back. Mm-hmm. They did, they both came back. We enjoyed one Christmas when David came and they both came back at that same time then. And we really enjoyed that. We were living in Prince Edward Island at the time on base. Our stepfather was Air Force and uh, shortly to retire. So we spent one year there. And that's where we really had our last Christmas, all of us together. And it was wonderful. And uh, David went back to the United States after his uh, furlough, and he just uh, worked. You know, he worked there as the um, as honor guard duty, um, and that's uh, a service that is given to soldiers who return home to be buried. And uh, John went back. He pulled a second tour, and he went back to uh, Vietnam so he could opt out earlier from the United States Army. And uh, not have to do any work uh, stateside, so he went back to his unit, and that's where his heart was anyway. And um, yeah, to do another six months, and he would have been uh, released. They came back together, um, and then they—I uh, have pause here because I say they came back together, but they weren't the same. David was, David was not so much different as, but John was. He he was tremendously changed. He looked the same, but he didn't seem the same. But we didn't know much about that. Yeah, and you've since found
0: out that it was because of uh, I mean many different incidents, but one in particular um, that uh, that really marked him. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Well, in the journey of researching John's life and work in Vietnam, uh, I knew nothing. We knew nothing. There was no pictures. There was no stories. He never talked about it. We didn't ask, but in the research of his book after John passed away, um, it wasn't until 2012 when I found his um, unit, and they responded because you know there was, there's some Vietnam are a little slower, still getting up and saying hello. I'm here, um, but anyway, I found them finally by 2012, and and I met a lot of his members that. Um, served with him in Vietnam and did the same type of work, and then I found out, you know, uh, about many traumatic events that transpired. But the one, the one that, you know, uh, really hurt John the most was when George Morgan, his team leader, died in front of his eyes, and it was an accidental death, and uh, it was had to do with a grenade. Um, some grenades, the, the rangers would fix a grenade, some rangers would fix a grenade that it would have, have a short fuse on it in the event they were ever captured, because rangers were never to be captured. There was a bounty on their heads in Vietnam, but they were never to be captured. So they knew what they had to do not to get captured. And uh, George made a mistake, and he grabbed a wrong grenade, and uh, it blew immediately. And John was standing in front of him, about ten feet away from him. That's how I was told. And John took shrapnel in the front of his legs, uh, and it was it was a big wound. And uh, another man took some shrapnel, and uh, two others, and they were airlifted off off that hill. They were out on a radio relay, um, and that was the one that crippled John. Uh, and uh, to read about it in the book, to you know, to read the what he'd written about it in poems that he wrote, he wrote about some of the, the men who deeply affected him, their deaths. Uh, those are things that impacted John's life and set him up to ultimately live and try to live with his post traumatic right, stress disorder. Right.
0: And so they came home, and they came home to a, a, a society. Uh, you said that where did they live when they came home?
1: Well, they they returned to Canada. Because they were discharged then, right, from the United States Army. So they could return to Canada and uh, to, you know, either go to work or go back to school. And John went back to school. So he, the family was living in Winnipeg then. The, you know, the the stepfather, very, very nice person, he uh, retired in Winnipeg. And uh, we always wanted, many of us wanted to come back to Newfoundland. So John came back to Newfoundland, as did David, my twin sister. And six months later, I got here. And we all were here for just a short time together, and it was rather nice. John went back to uh, university, actually, and did some courses and did you know, worked in accounting and bookkeeping. Um, but his life was starting to fall apart. And David and my twin, they, they moved out to Vancouver with some other friends, and, and David still lives in Vancouver. Um, but John remained in, in here. He, he had left and came back, but anyway, he married and had a you know, small family. Um, but his life was was you know impacting him. He he was uh, he wasn't doing well at all. So he left without the family. He left them here um, because he needed to sort himself out or see where he was going with his life. Um, he couldn't make any sense of his life here, so he went back to the United States. And it was then that he realized that he was about as normal as any other Vietnam veteran. And because he cause he'd met a lot of Vietnam vets who were exhibiting the same same um, um, injuries as he was you know uh, the nightmares the flashbacks the anger uh, the vigilance and things like that so um, he was in his in his um, comfort zone there and it's then that he started to rise up from that and become uh, uh, more I think, more of who he he was and is, or was. That's because he was then, helping some of the um, Vietnam veterans he, uh,
0: that, you know with their own troubles, and he was a bit like an activist almost.
1: Exactly. Yeah, he he placed his his angers and he placed his energies right. um, with the people, and that promoted. Yeah, and and that was at the time then when. Uh, you know, back we're uh, reaching up into the '80s. Then, when the wall was being um, discussed and designed, and it was going to be, you know, um, a memorial site there for the Vietnam veterans after a decade of anger and mistrust and misunderstandings. So, um, when that was um, announced, and you know, John was hearing it on the on the television, he you know he he said, "Well, that's kind of low key. They're not doing enough." To promote this. Maybe the boys won't come out. You know, uh, they're pretty upset. So he took it upon himself. He's going to walk across the United States and bring awareness of the Vietnam veteran and and you know um, and check the pulse of America. So he dressed like he did in Vietnam in the fatigues and the rucksack and the boots and the, and the, the the cami hat. And the only difference was that he wasn't carrying an M60 machine gun, he was carrying the United States flag, which had never been carried across the nation of America ever. And he did that. And he left from, now
0: that's the picture that you have on the front of your book, right?
1: Yeah. It's a very, it's a very poignant picture. He was one of. Yeah. And that was actually taken by. Taken by. That picture was actually taken by one of John's friends um, who lives here in Newfoundland, Ron Wayland and uh, they've, uh, they've, David and John and Ron knew each other for, for years. But uh, when John, when David, well, David had met, and Ron and David were in Vancouver, I should say, and David had, they had met John in Seattle, Washington, when he arrived there to start the walk. And uh, so the boys were all together, just as they were all together, right? Um, well, especially David and John, when they, um, were sworn in to the United States Army. They stood by side by side by American flag. And now here they were side by side again. And John is walking, going to walk across the United States of America. I mean, <laughs> now that was 3,700
0: that? <laughs> kilometers or miles? Uh,
1: 3,200 wow, miles, right? Uh, on that, it took, it took them seven months. But he learned a lot along the way, and uh, he learned that you know the American people were sorry, very sorry, for for treating the you know the, the veterans so poorly when they came home. It wasn't the veterans they were angry at; it was government. Everybody was angry with the government, but the veterans bore the brunt of it. And but they were deeply sorry about that, and uh, they wanted to be forgiven too, just as the Vietnam veterans wanted to be forgiven. You know, every, every veteran who comes home from a war gets a parade, you know, and that's the sign of society saying, we forgive you. We thank you for what you've done for us. You know, you went there and you, you had to do horrible things for us. But the Vietnam veterans came home and there was no parade. There was no thank you and there was no forgiveness until the memorial. Yeah, which war. I've been to. Have you been to the wall? Absolutely. Um, John and I were supposed to go there together. Uh, and uh, as it happened, there's a little side story here. I found my father's people in Wales, in Pontypridd, Wales, and I found that they were there. And John and I were supposed to m- meet up. We hadn't seen each other for a decade or more. And, and he, were, he was going to take me to the wall. And I said, yes, we will do that. But then a letter came into our lives saying that we have family in Wales where dad was from and John said you're going to well you're going to Wales but I said what about the wall I got to go to the wall he said no you're going to go to Wales but then that that opened up another door in our lives that brought a nice surprise to us um I did find my dad's family it was wonderful I didn't get to the wall then and then I never you know I never got the opportunity for to be with John ever after the day he left Newfoundland um so that hurt that hurt but uh i i had the opportunity to go through his life and uh on paper and being able to finish his work and write his book he killed and him, uh this was after that he was killed an himself, right he killed himself uh in what year he took his life he, he made the choice to end his life and uh, there's reasons for that, and it's all in the book um well lots of and uh It was was something we all understood was going to happen. I mean, our immediate family, we knew this would come one day because, you know, John's life with PTSD back in the 80s was far different than how we perceive life now. And yet still, you know, there are people that fall and can't be caught, you know, can't you can't catch them. Um, and that's what I'm hoping, you know, that this book might help open up people's eyes and hearts and minds, and help everybody or many to understand, you know, what it's like to live with PTSD. Because you'll be taking a journey through John's life, and with today's resources, that is, you know, it, it's it's doable to live with PTSD. It's manageable. Yeah, and, although, and that the services in Canada
0: are are. Uh, still relatively limited uh, compared to what they should be when it comes to PTSD. Um, And a lot of our listeners won't know that um, when uh, Saving Private Ryan Ryan came out, that particular movie was so um, precise in terms of what people lived through in World War II. A lot of the Vietnam vets actually helped some of the World War II veterans deal with effects of PTSD that they hadn't realized were still there, under the surface so this is not a disease this is something that can happen almost any time you know depending on the triggers
1: it can happen to anybody yes it can happen to anybody at any time to any degree you know and our john had complex pdsd that's caused largely from combat and many of our veterans will will develop that or first responders who are you know um, exposed numerous times to traumatic events, you know, um, they they can and probably you know not everybody will develop PTSD, but some can and and it happens. That will happen. Um, getting the right service for yourselves is, is like shopping for the right thing you're wanted to purchase. You just you have to, you know, get out there and you know share with. Mental health community. Let them know that you know the help that you need. And if you're not matched up well with somebody, you keep asking. You keep searching. You get until you're matched up with person who can help you with your needs. Yeah, that's and, not
0: um, easy. It's not because easy
1: because it is doable. It. No, I know. I went through it. I went through it in '97. And six months, I was in and out of doors because I, I live with post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, and I never disclosed that actually until later on in my life because I had an illustrious career. I enjoyed what I did. And uh, I think the people around me might never have understood. And I know they would not have understood. Um, it didn't change who I was in front of them uh it and uh, and i was certainly able to do my work but the stigma attached to menti- any mental health illness precedes the person and that's not fair and i'd like to see that this book and maybe yeah, help yeah oh well and that's that. that's one
0: of the reasons why people in 2018 should be reading about um this particular era um what are some of the other things that you're trying to accomplish with the uh, w- with this book
1: well, as you know, Tracy, you were there uh, and there was a time when, well, John had died and uh, we re- we returned his um, his cremains to uh, St. John's Newfoundland and John always wanted to come home and grow old on the mountain, uh, but he couldn't because of the lack of services here for his needs, his mental health needs. So he was best served in the United States at that time and uh, so he passed away and uh we brought his remains home and, uh, you know, proceeded to have a family funeral, as you would. And then when it came for to, you know, set up the burial uh, arrangements at the local military cemetery here, which was named a field of honor. Um, and there are thousands of fields of honors throughout the country, but only four uh our national were, at that time were national. This one was not a national one, but DBA has, you know, plots in all of them. So they, they kind of call it as to who can be put place there. So we requested a burial plot yeah, for, you know, remains and there's only a small piece of land. They would not sell it to us. So the fight began because now I had John's remains home and uh, we want to bring closure. Uh, it was a long, long journey with John and, uh, you know, in his life. And, uh, uh, and I wrote about it. It's, it's well well documented through his documentation too. Um, so we did this and uh, for five years we were denied to write the burial and bury him there solely because he was a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, And, well, that and that's where disgusting. we started
0: our interview with um, and there, your understanding that now you're going to have to be in another fight because of Winnipeg's decision. Um, that's uh but there are other um, issues that you raise uh, with this as well because we're talking about an era um, that we're talking about a links to um, between Canada and the United States in terms of uh, military links these are not the first people who have served with another
1: with the other countries war oh and, uh, oh no no it, it, Canada and the United States have been neighbors for decades centuries, centuries. And yes, they're going to have their little fallings out and kerfuffles from time to time. But, you know, when Canada went to World War I and World War Two and Korea, each one, they went there before America joined. And there, you know, American soldiers, um, American citizens, I should say, came over the border to Canada to serve with Canada under Canadian colors. And at the time, all those were considered foreign wars. But until, you know, the United States, and, you know, uh, became affected by the wars with the sinking of the Lusitania and or the Pearl Harbor bombing um, that, you know, that they jumped in and became a part of the, these wars, then, you know, like the, it was always, you know, the, we shared our citizens in, in warfare because of NATO and when Vietnam happened, well, you know, it was no different in the minds of Canadians. Well, I mean, there, it was history There was us, a question really. of whether so, or
0: not uh, Canada would get involved in Vietnam, but, um, and we did because we actually sent military soldiers over there. A lot of people don't realize that that was our first and second peacekeeping missions. And at the time, peacekeeping missions were significantly different than they are now. They, um, countries would choose Uh, each country in a conflict would be able to choose one person, one other country, um, that was actually an ally. So in Vietnam, uh, North, uh, North Vietnam chose China. Um, on their side. And South Vietnam chose, uh, the, the Americans chose Canada on their side. And then the two of them chose India. So there was actually a three-party peacekeeping mission. And there's a very, very complicated history that I think, um, hopefully after reading your book, if people are interested in that era, they'll start getting a little more informed about how these things um, were Developed Because there were people who died with the Canadian military in Vietnam, and those, I mean, if the Vietnam veterans are forgotten, the Canadians who died in Vietnam are forgotten even more. So I'm on a bit of a mission to get them some attention.
1: Well, yes, you're right. There are a few, you know, uh, considered Canadian Vietnam veterans, and then there are oh, tens of thousands who are yeah, Vietnam exactly. veterans who are exactly. Canadian. In this all country, to be recognized. Right? yes, exactly, and exactly. I mean, these are people who went out to uh, you know make a difference and protect our rights. Um, Canada had a big hand actually in the Vietnam War, and Victor Levant was probably the best who had discovered all that. But uh, I was I was very surprised in how extensively Canada was involved with the Vietnam War, and even as peacekeepers there their sole function was to uh, assist yeah. South Vietnam, no, not no, no. North I, Vietnam, I, it, it South is. Vietnam. Right? So it, it, it's a, yeah. bit of a taste in my mouth about all that, you know, that I'm not familiar with. But I'm not going to go beating on, you know, the history door. And, and, and right. what concerns me the most is now, you know, is that right now, and since 2005, Canada has taken in the beautiful, huge, magnificent military cemetery in Winnipeg as a national, national cemetery. And it too is the only uh, military cemetery in Winnipeg. And there is a large number of Vietnam veterans living in Winnipeg all their lives. And these are veterans. And uh, they will not, and i say this now, they will not be permitted to be buried in a national field of honor in Winnipeg because, solely because they are Vietnam veterans. And that is disgusting. That is anarchy. That is so wrong. And in this country, we have a, you know, a, a, the Royal Canadian Legion who are fighting for all veterans and, and benefits for all be- veterans. But this is one fight that I couldn't win, you know, back in, back before the military cemetery here in St. John's was considered a national. It wasn't a national when I was fighting them. Now they took that one, plus the one in Winnipeg. That's two provinces in this country that do not have military um, burial uh, properties for veteran Vietnam veterans. And that is very much wrong. We talk about being open and being a, a country who embraces everything and everybody in this world. You know, we're so giving. We're so open and welcoming. But we can't. After, still, after forty-five years, we can't welcome home our boys from Vietnam. Yeah. No, it's,
0: no, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, um, it's definitely a mission to uh, to keep carrying on with that and uh, getting services for PTSD, which are still and you know, really they're not available as much as they should be in Canada for anybody.
1: Well, you're right. You're right. And you know, when people, when you have people around you that have the experiences like the Vietnam veterans with PTSD and many, and how many of these men, I mean, they're, they're uh, well versed with it and they've well adjusted their lives, you know, uh, living with, with PTSD as uh, I have adjusted my life. I mean, 1997 was a long time ago. I'm still here and I'm doing okay. And you know, I have my supports around me. I have my little dog. That's a no brainer by the way. And you know, and, and we just recently in the news where, you know, we have Canadian veterans who are trying to get service dogs. And, you know, we had a, a government that's holding up the process because now they want another, you know, uh, um, service or um, survey from the United States saying how good that is for a veteran. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take It's a no brainer. Service dogs are excellent. They are the, the best source of healing and working with and may, managing PTSD. Everybody should have one. I'm serious. Everybody who has PTSD, I mean, it is the best thing you can come home to is is an animal that can bond with you and and gives you that sense of belonging and now, you know, because they need to be fed now and that keeps you in the now and it it keeps your Um. life...
0: Yeah, so Smooth. that was the um, the so. last half of your book was talking about these kinds of issues that are still going on, and the first part of the book is about um, yeah. John Blake's yes. uh, story. Uh, can you tell us what? Um, where will the book be it's available? Tricky. Do you uh, you have it uh, website? I understand that will be live as of tomorrow. And
1: you're doing something at your local chapters, right? Um, yeah, the uh, Amazon. Right, right. We're going to have um, um the book the official launching here in Saint John's Newfoundland um, at Chapters uh, between two and four o'clock, um there on Kenmont Road, and um, it will be live. It's it's available. It will be it's available on um, Amazon dot com. It's one for the boys by myself, Kathy Saint John, uh, and um, yeah, I look forward to people reading it. Uh, we did have two. Um, private signings. Um, one was in Vegas with the his unit, right, the Airborne Rangers, and uh, the boys came out to meet me there. And uh, they have read the book, and uh, they are very proud of what I've done for John. And uh, the same with uh, the Winnipeg Vietnam veterans. I dropped in there. I have a sister there, and uh, dropped in to say hello to my sister. And I met up with the uh, Canadian Vietnam vets, and we had a private signing there too. Um, to give them the heads up and the read on it. So they've read it and they've come back and then they, they said, I, I did them. Uh, I did good. Uh, when
0: the, when the, um, when the military people enjoy it yeah. too, you know that you've done a good job. So congratulations.
1: Well, thank you on that. And um, I couldn't have done it without, without John's unit. Um, and it took, when I found them, we stayed in close proximity and they, they shared with me the pictures that are in the book. I had nothing, um, uh, they shared with me the stories. I, I never knew. I mean, it, it actually blew me away how I fell in love with this man, this John Blake soldier, you know, because he, he's my brother. Like, I love him in the sense that I'm so proud of him. I just burst. You know, he was a, he was quite a guy, and I didn't know that. You know, he kept all that away from us and me because I, they might have thought I was too delicate because I grew up playing with dollies. Right, and and, uh, but he he didn't share it with me then, and I wish he had a I wish he had told me more. Um, But I know everything about the man, and I took a walk in his life, and it wasn't an easy journey, Tracy. I mean, there was times it was so heartbreaking, but um, but I'd do it again. I'd do it again if I you know if I needed to finish a book for him, or I would do it. I would do it again because I would not want to miss this man.
0: Now, my last question, which I ask all of my podcast uh, guests, um, is completely about you. Uh, do you, do you yeah. consider yourself a Canadian? And if so, what does that mean to you? Well,
1: I, I got to say this. I'm sorry. I'm a Newfoundlander. Okay. I live in Canada. And my heart got broken back when John died. And uh, it hasn't healed from, you know, my government. Um, throwing us to the curb and uh, leaving us out there without a burial for John that hurt and you can tell now it still hurts Um, I love Canadians, absolutely I love this country it's beautiful and I'm fortunate to live here, but I'm a Newfoundland It's uh, fabulous
0: to have been able to talk with you Kathy and I really appreciate the work that you've done on this, It's it's a tour de force and I hope everybody reads it, thank you very much Thank you Tracy Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. This episode was brought to you by Notable Nonfiction. Notable Nonfiction teaches people to grow through their own ingenuity. Find out more at NotableNonfiction.com.